morning. Welcome on this fine Lord's Day. There are no pressing announcements. So we will have a call to worship. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Let's bow our hearts and heads in silent preparation for worship. Let us stand and let us sing hymn 474, 474.
O God, as we are reminded of the truth of your word, that you always hear our prayers through Christ Jesus, our Lord. We ask, God, that you would be with us, especially this morning, to guide us unto more sanctification and holiness, Lord, that our thoughts and words, Lord, would be pleasing unto you, through Christ Jesus. We cast aside all our cares and concerns upon you, Lord. Help us, we pray, this Lord's day that you may be glorified in all that we do. We pray these things in accordance to your word and the Lord's prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the be seated. We have the responsive reading, Psalm 17. Psalm 17, which is inside the bulletin. Let us read it responsively. I'll read the bold face. Hear a just cause, O Lord, attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer, which is not from deceitful lips. You have tested my heart. You have visited me in the night. You have tried me and found nothing. I have purposed that my mouth shall not transgress. Uphold my steps in your paths that my footsteps may not slip. Show your marvelous loving kindness by your right hand, O you who save those who trust in you from those who rise up against them. From the wicked who oppress me, from the deadly enemies who surround me. They have now surrendered us in our steps. They have set their eyes crouching down to the earth. Arise, O Lord, confront him, cast him down, deliver my life from the wicked with your sword. As for me, I will see your face in righteousness, I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. And so the psalmist here calls out to God for a just cause, that he is being lied about, being pursued by his enemies, and that he can only go to the Lord for protection and help. 
And as he says here at the end, I will see your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I wake in your likeness to be more like him, to be in his presence, uh, to be rid of all the sins and wickedness of this world is our desire as much as it is as, it is as David's desire. Let us pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we bless and praise you, most glorious three in one. We ask, God, that you would continue to cover our sins, that we, Lord, would fight against the violations of your law to whatever degree, Lord, that we struggle with it in thought, word, and deed. We feel our weaknesses, God. We feel as though our sanctification is our undoing. We certainly do not feel at times justified, God, for that is certainly not a feeling. Help us, God, to persevere against our sins, against the world, the flesh, and the devil, Lord God above. And that begins with acknowledging our sins and repenting from them, whatever our capacity is in the kingdom of God. We thank you, God Almighty, for forgiving us of our sins as promised in the gospel, for helping us to resist, Lord, the sins of our hearts and the sins of this world, to protect us from the world, the flesh, and the devil, Lord God above, for giving us the church, for giving us your word, for giving us preaching, for giving us one another, God, that we may continue to admonish and encourage one another, Lord, as we see the day approaching of our Lord and Savior. We ask, Lord, and pray, God, for more of your mercies upon us, for more encouragement, for more joy, even, Lord, the fruits of the Spirit upon our hearts, God. Joy not in the the difficulties around us, God, for we can be sad about that, but to have joy in the fact that our souls are saved in spite of our sins, and that you love us and are taking care of us, Lord, and you've given us the promise there in your word, that we have access to that word, Lord, and we have your spirit within us. Help us, Lord, to continue on in our lives and daily callings and wherever we are in this world to do what we are called to do. We pray, God, in particular for the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the denomination or the national church of which we are part of. We thank the Lord for her long history, at least longer than it was before, Lord, although short compared to many other churches and denominations. We pray, God, we continue to be faithful as a denomination to do the right thing, both in doctrine and in practice, and to stand firm and bold against the lies of this world, to see through them, Lord, that they may not seep into our, our churches, our presbyteries, and our hearts. We pray in particular, God, for the efforts of missions, both at the uh, national level, Lord, at the presbytery and locally as we can, God, to help establish new churches, uh, Lord, to support pastors, to support their families, God, and that we would have the wisdom, Lord, to find these men, to equip them if need be, Lord, and that they can find the people that you've called for them to find. To start churches at various places across this nation, God above, especially for the forgotten communities at the uh, poor middle class, God, uh, that are being more and more left behind in our day and age, that you would be with our missionaries, that you would be with our pastors of the young churches, uh, young chapels, or Lord, that have not fully become congregations on their own, God, that you would help them find local leadership, Lord, ruling elders, <clears throat> men who are committed to the gospel, committed to their church and their members, Lord, and that can lead and have the prerequisite gifts, God. And we ask, Lord, that you would be with the members, that they would not be discouraged as they try to start up a new work, uh, Lord, as they try to reach out to the community around them, that you would be with them, Lord, that you would help give them wisdom of where to go, where not to go, how to spend their money and their time and effort, Lord. Bring them unity, we pray, in the Spirit. We ask, Lord, not only for the efforts of the uh, home missions, Lord, the beginning of the establishment of churches and new churches, Lord, 
but also for the committee work, again, both at the national and uh, presbyterian levels, Lord, and local churches, God, and the men who are involved in making these decisions of giving funds, of deciding and examining men to see if they are equipped and ready for uh, missionary work, Lord. It is in some ways a, a unique gift, God, to uh, be able to start a church from scratch and to make contacts, Lord, and to find people to preach to and talk to God. Help them, Lord, to find such men. Equip them and train them, Lord. May they meet in your providence, God, and give them the insight to know who they are and who fits well with them, Lord. And we pray, God, for continued funding and support, Lord, and material aid as needed. We ask, Lord, for our health that we would continue to do what we can to be thankful, Lord, for the access to health and being able to evaluate ourselves, to have access to other uh, medical necessities and medical aids, Lord, for our body and the deal, dealings with our sicknesses, Lord, the things that we have. We ask God in particular to help those with chronic ailments. Continue sickness that's there, Lord. They're silent about it, Lord, but we know that it's there. We ask that you would help them overcome and persevere and even get help. We pray in particular, Lord, for the likes of... The Stansberries and their children, Joshua, Lord, that you would be with him, that you would help them, God, that you would give insight to the doctors up there that are new to this difficulty, that they would communicate with the doctors down here, Lord, and uh, get things lined up as best they can for that young boy. Help them, we pray. Comfort their souls, I ask, Lord. And be with all of us, deep God. Protect us, we pray, from various ailments and sicknesses, Lord. Give us access, again, continued access, Lord, even though there's concern, Lord, with the ports and things being bottlenecked and the like, God, that we would have what we need, Lord, continuously, especially, Lord, for your people and our churches here. We pray for our sanctification and growth, as we will hear this morning, God, that we pray that you would be in the preaching of the word to encourage us, Lord, to take sanctification, the call of a holy life, the call of obedience to your your word, especially to your law. Help us, we pray, to that end, uh, to persevere, uh, to be renewed in your image, to do these things with a joyful heart, Lord, with de- dedication and determin- determination, Lord, to do the right thing, to persevere, to plead your mercies upon us, God, to seek out opportunities to evaluate and ourselves, Lord, and to the extent that we need to understand our weaknesses and our strengths, Lord, and to use them and not to always browbeat ourselves as the world does, God, and to keep pointing out our sins and never pointing out the work of the Spirit within us. Help us, we pray, to persevere, Lord, and to continue to love you day by day and to love the saints, we pray. In your name alone, amen. We now have the tithes and offerings. Let us rise. 
Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Is Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. We praise you indeed, God Almighty, for the many blessings you've given us, Lord, in this nation, although... Uh, in many ways, it seems like things are not as good as they were many years ago, yet we still have great many blessings. We pray we, we use these offerings, Lord, with our whole heart and our mind and our soul to glorify you and to love you, God. Use them, we pray, for your glorious name. Amen. When we are standing, let us sing Psalm 56. Psalm 56.
may be seated. We have the reading of the Apostles' Creed. We have that in the green insert. The hymnal, let us read the Apostles' Creed together, a very brief summary of important doctrine. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and a life everlasting. Amen. Let us turn to our Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, it is after Ephesians. Let us listen attentively to the Word of God, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. With these words, God Almighty, we ask that we would be encouraged to dwell and meditate upon this truth, that you indeed are working in us, and that you will complete that work that you have begun in us, the return of Christ Jesus our Lord. And that should encourage us, Lord, to persevere in our sanctification, to know that you are indeed with us and have given us the promise of the perseverance of fruit of the Spirit and renewal in your image. In your name alone we pray. Amen. When I was a young man in my teen years, I made a public profession of faith, and then for the next several years I worried about the state of my soul. It is a miserable way to live as a Christian. Why did I continue worrying about going to heaven after I was saved? Because I was taught that I had to persevere without the promise of God. Or rather, any promise of salvation by God was dependent upon me. When I saw me, I saw my sins, and thus I was worried. There are many, many Christians out there confused about this, about the promises of God, about sanctification and what that entails about the promises of God that lead to perseverance and holiness, fruit of the Spirit, and the renewed image of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, promises that are not only good news before we are saved, but good news after we are saved. And so I've broken down broadly here, and I'm going to have another sermon on sanctification, part two, where I get to some more detail. It's a very large topic. These three points here, the Perseverance and holiness, the fruit of the Spirit, and renewal in the image of God. Perseverance and holiness is the first point. What is it? What are we talking about? To persevere is to, as the coppices like to say, to keep on keeping on. 
Keep on keeping on. Not just in the church, but being a Christian. You may lose access to a church, to a minister, but you still must follow Jesus to the best of your ability. To never give up on following him, no matter what the world does to you or promises to do to you or threatens you. No matter what happens to you, you lose your job, you lose your house, you lose your family, you lose your friends, they hate you, they come after you, and you still follow Jesus. That's perseverance. We know what it is at work. You want a good worker, you hire him, you want him to persevere in his job, not to give up because it gets hard, but rather figure out how to work out through the hard problem itself. To persevere, to keep doing the right thing on the job, no matter what the customers do to you, no matter what they say to you. Very much the same thing in the Christian life. That's perseverance. To keep on keeping on. And having done all, as you read in Ephesians, to stand, as I read in the call to worship. Now, what this reminds us is of the fact that we are not robots. We do not teach that we are robots. This text, although I picked it because it emphasizes the work of God upon us, being confident, we are confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you, the good work of salvation, broadly, and more narrowly, the good work of sanctification. He's begun it in you, and he will complete it till the day of Christ Jesus. So that the perseverance focus here is the preservation perspective from God Almighty, how he preserves us. He preserves us so that we may persevere as well. And that reminds us that although God preserves us, as this text highlights, preserves us in good works, preserves our sanctification, preserves our justification, our adoption, and yet in the particular domain of sanctification, it is you that is persevering. It is you that is believing. It is you that is repenting. It is you that is obeying God Almighty. You are not a robot at all. Second Peter 1.10, we read, Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. Because you are called, because you are elect, you are eager to show more evidence and fruit thereof. For if you do these things, you will never fall. God does not repent for you. God does not believe for you. God does not persevere for you, although he preserves you. You are the active moral agents. And as you know, of course, it's not by your emotions or by pure willpower or by bodily strength that you persevere in the Christian walk, that you persevere in following Jesus Christ and praying to him and reading and repenting and doing your calling and vocation in life as a mother, as a father, as a son, as a child, as a citizen of this world, as a worker, as a boss. You do it by faith. You do it because you believe Jesus has lived and died for you. You believe that God has begun a good work in you and will complete it. We read in 1 Peter 1.5, Who are kept, that is we, the followers of Jesus, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. So like Paul writing to the Philippians, Peter points out that the power of God sustains us until the last time, and through the last time as we know, because the last time is when we go to heaven. If we are here on earth when Christ Jesus returns, as he uses the language here, until the day of Jesus Christ himself, 
our sanctification will be complete. So our perseverance, although hemmed in and carried on and energized by the preservation of God Almighty who began a good work in us and will continue that good work, is through the agency of faith. We believe, and we keep on believing, and we can't help but believe. We will not give up believing, no matter how much we get angry, no matter how much we we cry, no matter how much despair we have against our sins, against the world, against temptation. We cannot give up God. That's perseverance. As long as you believe, you will persevere. But what if your faith is weak? I am weak, Pastor. I don't feel like I have faith sometimes. I feel like I've lost it. That's why I have this text. God has begun a good work in you, and part of that good work is he has given you faith, and he energizes and strengthens that faith. John 10.29 reminds us more clearly, if possible, of our perseverance being dependent ultimately upon the preservation of God Almighty. John 10, 29, My Father who has given them to me, Jesus says, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch him out of my Father's hand. Are you someone? Then you cannot snatch yourself out of the Father's hand. It's a general proposition. He's not making an excuse to saying, well, nobody else can but you. Kind of encouragement. There's no encouragement there. Jesus isn't saying that at all. Nobody can. He is greater than all. He is greater than your weak faith. Weak faith is not the same as no faith, brothers and sisters. Have you denounced the faith? Have you said, I don't care about Jesus Christ? The last I checked. So although you may feel weak, it's not the same as having no faith. God is with you. It is the work of Christ. Sanctification, Hebrews 7.25. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to him through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Intercede for what? Intercede for our sins. That is, he comes between us and our sins, the consequences of our sins, and the guilt of our sins. Always. He lives. That's his purpose. He came to earth to live and die for you, brothers and sisters. And so, your perseverance, you're keeping on keeping on and believing and following Jesus and not denouncing him is because the Father is greater than all the temptations around you in your weak faith. It's because the Son is able and has indeed completely saved you because he always lives to intercede for you, intercede for your weak faith. That's good news. Christians have good news, not just before they're saved, but after they're saved. And it's a promise, as we read here, that God will preserve us in our perseverance, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it to the day of Jesus Christ. Paul is. He says earlier, I thank God upon every remembrance of you, verse 3, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you with all joy. He's praying for them, requesting before God that the Philippians will get the help and the grace they need. Verse 5, for your fellowship, he prays for the fellowship and the gospel from the first day until now, being confident, Paul is confident of this very thing, that God has begun a work, the work of sanctification in you, brothers and sisters, and he will complete it. Don't let the world tell you otherwise. Don't let your weakness tell you otherwise. It is a promise. It is a good work. 
in you. Now, perseverance is keeping on, keeping on, is believing, and not just believing, but a belief that works towards some fruit and evidence therein, although it may be weak, it may not be seen by everybody. It's always in the heart, to be sure, right? That's where faith is, ultimately. Even if you cannot speak, the dumb can be saved, can they not? What is not perseverance? What perseverance is not? It is not perfectionism, being a saint, this side of heaven. It's not promised by God. It's the beginning of a good work. Isn't that interesting? The beginning. Well, if it's a good work, why isn't it complete, God? Well, it's a good work to grow a tree, right? And yet, but it's not mature yet. You haven't matured yet. You're incomplete in many ways. That's okay. It's part of growth. It's part of being human, I would argue. It doesn't mean, perseverance doesn't mean you're struggle-free. Saints, indeed, will wrestle with sin, though they conquer other sins through time and God's providence, more than perhaps you realize at times. It doesn't mean you'll be scandal-free. David persevered, and he had some scandals, didn't he? King David. Man after God's own heart, the Lord said. You had a scandal like that recently? You, you murdered somebody by sending them to, into battle recently? Pastor, I've had murder in my heart. Yes, that's bad, but it's worse if you execute it. <laughs> Ask the person who just got killed. That's why it's important to have the doctrine of degrees of sin, in sanctification in particular, so you don't beat yourself up more than necessary. That is the idea of repentance, is what I mean metaphorically there. The world will throw your sins in your face, brothers and sisters, and say, you call that persevering? Ha! That doesn't matter. You cling to God's promises. And you know, if David is called by God, and David persevered in spite of his sins because the Spirit was working in him, he is indeed working in you. We can tell them that our claim of persevering in the faith is not a claim of perfection. Our only perfection is Jesus Christ. He's the one who obeyed the law for us. The second point, sanctification is not just perseverance. You don't just become sanctified and then you just do whatever you want for the rest of your life, but you follow Jesus, you follow his word, and you trust in the promises every day. But there's also fruit of the Spirit involved in sanctification. The fruit of the Spirit, the second point. Uh, broadly, the language of the fruit of the Spirit is not what I thought growing up, which was that limited list you read in Galatians and Colossians and elsewhere. Oh, there you go, add them up. There's all the fruit of the Spirit. If I have all those, then I'm a good Christian, I'm mature. Fruit of the Spirit is all goodness, righteousness, and truth. We read that in Ephesians 5.9, for the fruit of the Spirit is all goodness, righteousness, and truth. It's not limited to those lists. When you look at the two lists, they're not exact copies. That's what's interesting. One's longer than the other. Did Paul mess up elsewhere? No. He's emphasizing those things apparently for the audience. They need to learn some of those things and fight for those fruits to make them stronger and more juicier, bigger fruit, right? But it's all goodness, brothers, all the things in life that we are called by God to do in righteousness and truth. Truth. It is good to know the truth and to hang on to truth and to believe the truth. That is a fruit of the Spirit. That is a fruit of the Spirit. The world mocks you and 
makes fun of you and say you're not obedient enough. That's true. I could be more obedient, but I have not given up on my Lord. I believe in him. I have the truth of the Bible. I believe the truth. You don't. (laughs) And I feel sorry for you. But truth is also fruit of the Spirit, brothers and sisters. Do not forget that. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You are born again. That's the beginning of your sanctification. And being born again is to become new again. You have new thoughts. You have new emotions. You have a renewed will. Now you think of Jesus. Now you think of God. Now you think of the Spirit. Now you think of his word. Before, you cared nothing of these things. That's what he means when he says you are a new creation. God has come to earth in Christ Jesus and saw the fallenness of this world and has started a new creation in Christ Jesus. And we have a foretaste of heaven in being born again. And when new heavens and new earth come, that's a new creation then, fully. And we have a taste of it now. And the whole new creation, the new heaven and new earth, sin will be completely eradicated as Christ has done all the work for us. You think about God, the gospel, the church, you are zealous for the truth. You love the saints. You love the Lord. You seek to obey his commandments. That's what it means to be a new creation. Goodness, righteousness, and truth for every Christian. Doing and speaking good things and speaking the truth all to the glory of God. These are the fruits of the Spirit. Not just that narrow list, although it's an important list. It's there for us. So let's talk about that. Narrow list. Not just broadly all spiritual things, but more narrowly. Galatians 5.22 we read, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. The context of the Galatians, right? The Galatian heresy of justifying yourself by obedience, justifying yourself by being circumcised, justifying yourself before God instead of clinging to Christ Jesus as your justification. He's playing on the idea of law here. There's no law against these things. These are the things you should do if you're born again. And they're not the things that save you. Christ is. Some of these are heart attitudes, to be sure. Others are outwardly expressed, such as uh, self-control and gentleness. Others, the list here is not a systematic approach, but just kind of a scattershot. I mean, self-control, for example, seems to undermine, uh, undermine, underlie, better not undermine, underlie is underneath, right, the foundation of all the other fruits. It's hard to have gentleness, goodness, and kindness if you have no (laughs) self-control. So don't look at the list as just everything on an equal footing, as it were. But he threw out a lot of important things there. And we have to, uh, as through the word of God and through the mind that he has given us in Christ Jesus, to realize some of these are more important or more foundational in the sense of uh, you're not going to do much without self-control if you want to have fruit of the Spirit. Now, the fruit of the Spirit, I won't go through uh, them in particular. That would make the sermon even longer there are some books that have covered this. Go to a good commentary, such as Matthew Henry. 
Uh, Calvin has sermons on Galatians. I highly commend Calvin's sermons. He has commentaries, yes, but his commentaries are written for pastors, not for you. You can learn from him, yes, but he covers technical things. I highly recommend his sermons. He will go into more detail and very applicable that way. Uh, so you know, we even know what love is. Uh, joy, of course, is not this starry-eyed, hey, everything's good and happy, Pollyanna approach to life. But joy in the fact that you are saved. You lose a loved one. God's not saying, why aren't you happy? Where's your joy, man? Christ wept, brothers and sisters. Jesus wept. So the joy is not just everything and everything in life, but it's contextual to the fact, I am saved. And peace, the peace of your soul, because you are saved. Others, like long-suffering, of course, is toward the saints and toward sin around you and the brothers and sisters of the Lord to put up with more than you want to. Sometimes you suffer long. <laughs> Good translation. And so again, these are not all equal, coordinated ideas of fruit of the Spirit, but they have different references and different expressions in the Christian life. Now, the fruits of the Spirit, if you think about it, is not unique, is it? I hope, and I believe, if I asked you, if you had unbelieving parents, did they love you? that you would say, yes, my parents love me, but they're not Christians. So they have love and you have love. What's the difference? Obviously the difference, one difference is the object of love. You love God. They don't. You love the saints. and eh, They're kind of like, eh, you've got some strange friends. Right? So don't think of the fruit of the Spirit as somehow radically unique in terms of expression at times. Unbelievers can enact many of them. But, of course, they do it for wrong ends, wrong purposes, wrong goals. And they, of course, don't have the Spirit of God to sustain them in these fruits. And therefore, none of it is pleasing to God. And the greatest of these fruits, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, is love. So already, again, that list there in Galatians is not a uh, a list of coordination and systematic organization of how they all interrelate. We know elsewhere that love, Paul argues, in the context of maintaining church unity in particular, because you still need faith. Without faith, love is meaningless. Love is what's highlighted often in the New Testament. Again and again, I've preached through those passages, 52, 53 passages of love one another, take care of one another, all the one another passages and love passages are especially important because, again, you have a new church, a new creation that has Jews and Gentiles alike with different backgrounds, and it's hard to overcome those differences. It really is. So he highlights the need for love. Love of God and Christ, of course. Love of the saints. And if you are saved and you are sanctified, and if you are sanctified, you will have the fruit of the Spirit. If you have the fruit of the Spirit, you will have love. It may not always feel like love. Love is not an emotion, it's not a feeling, although it may give birth to some feelings and emotions, and that would be good, and that would be great. I hope you have some. But it's more than that. It's this commitment and adoration to God Almighty especially. Sanctification is perseverance. Sanctification is the fruit of the Spirit in our life. Sanctification is renewal in God's image, in Christ's image in particular. Sanctification is the work of God's free grace. Question 35 of the shorter catechism, 
We learned a little bit about that history this morning in Sunday school class. Sanctification is the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die into sin and to live on the righteousness. A renewal, a renewal, right? To renew something means there were remnants already there. Yes, we were made in the image of God, although it was the fallen image of God. It was warped by sin. The cancer of sin ate through our soul. And so we became like brute animals. I speak collectively of the fall of mankind. And doing wickedness and wretchedness to one another and for one another. And salvation comes along and renews that. It purifies and kills the cancer of sin. You don't become non-human when you're saved. You become a better human. (laughs) Salvation purifies us. It renews us in the image, the whole man, after the image of God. And, of course, we know that's ultimately the image of Jesus Christ in particular. It's a twofold work of God. Objective sanctification, wherein we are set apart from the world, especially through baptism. And subjective sanctification, wherein internally, that's where we feel and see and interact with our inner self. We know that we are born again. That our thoughts have changed, although we certainly struggle with sinful thoughts. Our words have changed, although we struggle with sinful words. But they are there. There's a difference. There's no struggle for the unbeliever. He cares not for sin. Ephesians 4.23, And be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So he uses the language here, Paul does in Ephesians, of a new man, of being renewed in your spirit of your mind, created in righteousness and true holiness. Righteousness as in obedience to God's law and following his holy way and true holiness. So they're overlapping ideas. If you recall, as I mentioned before, being made human means we're made in the image of God and it's fallen. And now we're to be renewed in the image of God himself. Colossians 3.10, we read, And have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. There's the word again, image. That we reflect God. We are not God, but we have something similar to God, some attributes similar to God. Those are called the communicable attributes as opposed to the incommunicable attributes, those things which are truly and only unique to God. We covered that in the sermon on God and the attributes of God, things that are uniquely his, but others that he, as it were, through providence, gives to us, as he only gives to us, knowledge and holiness and the like, our faint reflections like off of a mirror of greatness of God. And so we, Christians, brothers and sisters, part of sanctification, the imagery of sanctification, uh, the prime paradigm that the Puritan forefathers of ours chose to put in the language of the Shorter Catechism is the language of renewal of the image of God. To be the way in which to understand sanctification and all the other categories would fit under that. I chose not to approach it that way, at least in the initial sermon. The next sermon I'll go into some of the details to cover a lot more ideas of sanctification and more topics here. Romans 12.2 
And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Part of the growth of the Christian of being renewed in the image of God is not just holiness, righteousness, but true knowledge. Truth is a fruit of the Spirit, brothers and sisters. And that fruit of the Spirit and having the truth as opposed to the lie, which is one of the big differences as well. They can have many exercising of fruits like our fruit, love and patience and long-suffering to be sure. But it's not done in truth, is it? The unbeliever doesn't have the truth. They reject the truth. They want nothing to do with God or his word. And we have that, and we're encouraged by Paul and urged in Romans 12, too, to be conformed to God, to transform your mind into more truth, to read his word, to meditate upon it, and to grow thereby instead of being conformed to the world that tells you lies and tells you to worship other gods or that there is no God. That's the call of holiness. Sanctification, perseverance, fruit of the Spirit, being renewed in the image of God, Holiness, all of that. And of course, it's through means, perseverance and holiness and the fruit of the Spirit and renewal in God's image don't come spontaneously as such, but through the Spirit empowering us in conjunction with the tools and the instruments and the means that he's given us to keep growing. Like children, yes, they breathe automatically, but they have to learn to eat. They have to learn to use their little hands and grab the food and shove it in their mouth. Or in this case, milk. So open their mouth, ah, in goes the bottle. But they have to open their mouth. Eventually they have to learn to use their hands. And that's the parallel to Christian growth and sanctification, the means God has given us. God gave you hands, literal hands, to grab food to put in your mouth so that you could live. He didn't say, well, you know, abracadabra, you've got food in your belly. Use means, instruments, tools. We have the same thing in sanctification, in the, in the growth of our inward man, in the growth of our soul. And God has given us the church. He has given us teachers. He has given us the means of grace, such as prayer, Bible, and preaching. These are tools that we may grow and persevere and grow in the fruit of the Spirit and become more like Jesus, being renewed in His image. Sanctification, brothers and sisters, is a work of God's free grace, giving you perseverance and holiness, giving you the fruit of the Spirit, and renewing you in God's image. Praise be to his name. Amen. Let us pray. Help us, God, to persevere. Help us, Lord, to continue exercising the fruit of the Spirit. Help us, God, to mold us and to renew us in the image of Jesus Christ into true righteousness, holiness, and truth. In your name alone we pray. Amen. Let us stand and sing hymn 
grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit to be upon you all. Amen.